0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been in sort of a series. We didn't really intend to launch into it, honestly. And we just started talking a couple weeks ago about what does a healthy church look like? What does that look like to be part of a church that is seeking after the heart of God? And what does that look like? So we started with week one, talking about that. And then last week, if you are here, literally, uh, or if you weren't here, literally, we had about eight minutes of teaching, and then the rest of the time, we just told story after story after story after story after story of people within our church that are just serving in significant ways. And they're not serving in uh, some—what we tried to do is look at and just tell the stories of people that aren't part of some official ministry or some official program. They're just people like you and me whose heart broke over something. And they said, I want to do something about it. I don't need a program. I don't need somebody to recruit me for it. I'm just gonna do it. And honestly, people, we've gotten tons of great feedback. Right after the services, we had people talking about how powerful that was. Uh, We got emails that way. And people were like, I had no idea so many people were doing something within the body. And my answer, and Chuck's answer was, there's so many more stories. I mean, there's literally no way we could tell every story of what people within this church are doing as they seek after God and they serve God. There's no way I could tell all those stories. And honestly, we felt bad that we couldn't, but we realized there's just too many stories to tell. There's too many stories to tell. And this week of Thanksgiving, I thought, how appropriate to talk about that to talk about stories how many of y'all are getting together with family for thanksgiving are y'all getting together with how many of y'all are going to tell stories when you get together at thanksgiving you're all going to tell stories yeah every family does that right you do it and there's there's some of those stories that you you just laugh your head off. Do you, have those that you, do you have those stories that the moment you start telling it, you don't even have to finish it? You know what I'm talking about? You're already thinking about it right now. You're like, I know that story. You don't, you don't need somebody to tell you the rest of the story. You know it. There's some stories that you could even tell at church today. I thought that'd be funny, but it bombed. Uh, It's the realization that no family's perfect, man. We've got stories where we're like, I wish we could erase that, right? You know what I'm saying? We have stories. And what I want to say all across this room today is that every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us, regardless of if we were able to mention you last week on stage or not, is that every single person in this room has a story. And the big point, the big takeaway today is to say, you have a story and your story matters, Your story matters. I was really thinking about it this week. Literally a week ago, uh, Saturday a week ago, so eight days ago, I had a writing assignment due. I had sort of three or four pieces that I was supposed to write for a friend. And it really made me think about this because one of the things I had to write is he said, all right, what would you want me to know about your life in one page? Think about that. All, all of your life experience to say, write that in one page. And so I'm sitting down, I'm sitting there like, what, what are the things that I'm going to write about in just one page? And then a second piece of the assignment was to write my own obituary. You know what the obituary is, right? The thing that gets published in the newspaper when you die. And so think, it was crazy to sit down and he's like, all right, you've got to write this concise obituary. What would you want somebody to say about you when you die? You've got to include three quotes in it from important people in your life, like your spouse, close friend, coworker, that that kind of thing. And so I'm sitting down and I'm writing that. And it was weird because I've written them for other people before. You know, being in ministry, I've done, you know, a, a lot of funerals, and one of the most heartbreaking funerals I did was two years ago when I met with this family. It's a random family. I didn't know them at all. The funeral home called up and said, hey, here's a family that's grieving. They don't have a pastor. Would you come? I was like, absolutely, I'll come. And so I sit down with this family, and I'm saying, all right, what would you want to say about your husband? So I said that to the wife. Uh, Or what would you want to be said about your dad? I said that to the kids. And literally the most heartbreaking conversation was when they were like, we can't think of anything we want to say. And it wasn't that they were angry. They didn't have a bad relationship. They just couldn't come up with the answer to that question. And so my question is, well, how do you make sure that doesn't happen? How do you make sure you don't get to the end of your life And the things that you thought were important, you realize they really weren't important. How do you get to the end of your life and and, and the people that know you best? How do you get there where those that know you best love you the most? How do you get to that moment where you know that your life counted, that your life made sense, that it was bigger than you? How do you get to that point? Because everybody has a story somebody's gonna stand up and somebody's gonna talk about your life and somebody's gonna remember you. And so my question is, how do you make sure that is positive? How do you make sure that's powerful? How do you make sure that is something significant? Because everybody has a story and your story matters. And so to illustrate this today, I wanna look at the life of a guy found in the book of Genesis, whose name is Joseph. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. His story starts in Genesis chapter 37. Now, here's the truth today. There is no way I could cover his whole story because his whole story, get this, is 13 chapters in the Bible. Do you think God thinks his story is important? And the answer is yes. How many chapters did God spend talking about the creation of the whole world? Two. (laughs) How many chapters does he spend talking about Joseph? 13. So there's something God wants us to see. And so I want us to look at his story and say, What can we learn from his story? And the first thing, if you want to take notes in your little sermon notes section there, big point number one is that your story, number one, has a unique design. Your story has a unique design. Your story is unique. No two stories are exactly the same. No two stories are exactly alike. You have something that is unique about you. So here's Joseph's story. Let me just read it to you. Genesis 37, verse 2. It says, in Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, so when we pick up his story, he's 17 years old. He's still got more life in front of him than he does behind him. Right, and so he's just a young guy. He, he, he. Well, let me just go ahead and read it. It says in uh, verse two, he was seventeen years old. He was pasturing the flock with his brothers. So we recognize that Joseph has brothers. Skip over uh, to the end of verse two. It says, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. (laughs) So, uh, how many of your kids have ever tattled on one of your other kids? Does that happen? Yeah. First service, we had the whole student ministry right here. And so I was like, all right, so what does that make Joseph? And they were all like, a tattletale. And so this is not a good way to start his story. So we start his story by saying he's 17 and he's a tattletale. Why is he a tattletale? It says in verse 3, his, his father loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. So not only is he a tattletale, but he's the favorite kid. He's the favorite kid, right? Why, why is that? It says in verse 3, because he was the son of his old age and he made him a multicolored tunic or coat. You know the story, right? You've heard this, right? And so we meet this kid, 17 years old. He's the father's youngest kid. And so because of that, because he's sort of a surprise, he's the youngest kid. He's the father's favorite. And so because he's a tattletale, because he's the father's favorite, because his father made him a coat that he didn't give the rest of them, the Bible says, if you look down in verse 4, it says in the middle of that verse 4, it says, and they hated him. They hated him. They absolutely could not stand him. That's the beginning of his story. That's the beginning of his story. It goes on to say in verse five, and then Joseph had a dream. So Joseph has a dream. It's not a normal dream. It's not a, I had NyQuil before I went to bed kind of dream. It's not a, I ate something too late at night and had a crazy, you've had those, right? We've all had those. It's not that kind of dream. It's a dream where God pours purpose into his life. God gives him this dream that essentially says, one day, there's gonna come a day that you're basically sitting on a throne and all of your brothers are gonna bow down before you. Your whole family is gonna bow down before you. So as a 17-year-old kid that just got a fancy coat from his dad, Joseph is like, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And so he goes and he tells his brothers, oh, by the way, <laughs> there's gonna come a day that you bow down before me and they hated him even more. They hated him even more. That's the beginning of the story. Not a positive start, is it? They hated him even more. When I, when I heard the story growing up, I always wondered, well, what's the deal with the multicolored coat? I mean, what, what's that really about? Was it fancy? Was he the, the hippest person in the town? Did he wear skinny jeans way back then? I, I, I don't know. I'm like, what's the deal with this deal? And so as I studied it this week, what I learned is that it's not really about the color. The, the actual connotation is, is that his coat had large... Uh, baggy sleeves on it. Why is that a big deal? The big deal is they're out in the field pasturing. And so when you work in the field, you don't wear sleeves. When you work in the field, you wear a, a, a vest with no sleeves. It's very fitted. It's very tight. It doesn't get in the way of your work. And so if you wear a vest, you're ready for work. And if you wear a coat that has sleeves, you're the boss. You're the guy that drinks coffee and tells you what you ought to be doing, right? You're that guy. And so in their day and age, they had giant sleeves because they didn't have cargo pants, they didn't have pockets, And so literally they would store stuff in their sleeves. They'd have tight wrists and then they would tuck stuff in their sleeves. It's crazy. And so these brothers, they see this coat. And so already he's the youngest, already he's the most loved, already he's the favored, already he's a little bit of a jerk. He's a little bit arrogant. And now he's got this coat. So they hated him. But here's what I want to say is behind that dream was the purpose of God for his life. Joseph didn't understand it when he was 17. He didn't know exactly what that dream meant. He didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. All he knew is that God himself had a purpose for his life, and that's true for you. Every single one of us in this room are created uniquely by God himself. Every single one of us, maybe you haven't had that kind of dream, but you've got purpose for your life. I mean, the way that we tried to say it last week is often the way that you discover what you're meant to do. What, the way that you discover your life's most meaningful work is to look at the thing that breaks your heart. What is that thing that when you see it, it breaks your heart? What is that thing that, that when you experience, you're like, somebody ought to do something about that? What is that thing that when, when you hear about it, you're like, man, that shouldn't be? Maybe that thing that breaks your heart is that thing that you're meant to do something about. Maybe that thing when you see it and you're like, why isn't anybody else doing something about it? God's saying it's time for you to step into it. Maybe that frustration you're feeling really is a gift and, and, and it's the calling of God on your life. Maybe, maybe you're somebody like, like Susan Roebuck. Susan Roebuck, who, who works in our community ministry, whose heart breaks because there's 270 kids that live within miles of this church that aren't going to experience some of the joys of Christmas if somebody doesn't speak up for them. Maybe you're like Diane Maffey who's like, my heart breaks because there are kids in Haiti that may go to sleep hungry tonight and they may die before they hear the gospel. Maybe you're, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And maybe it's not that thing. Maybe your heart breaks because there's a broken relationship in your family. Maybe there's a kid in your life that, 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 that hasn't experienced the love of God and God has means for you to step up. There's a lady that lives down the street from us named Miss Gloria, who doesn't have any family right there in our neighborhood. Uh, she's the sweetest lady on the planet, the best baker on the planet. So uh, I, I mean, she's awesome. And Miss Gloria, you know what she does? She shows the love of a grandmother to all the little kids that live on our neighborhood. You have a unique design. You have a unique design. So, big point number one: your story has a unique design. Big point number two: here's what I know about your story and my story and Joseph's story: is your story has a lot of ups and downs. Your story has a lot of ups and downs. Your story isn't just a straight line, though it does have a timeline. Your story has a lot of ups and downs. And to be honest with you, a lot of times we only want the ups, don't we? We only want the positives. But if you look at this timeline, this timeline represents a snapshot of Joseph's lives. If you start on the far left, big point in his life is he has a dream. That's positive, right? He hears from God, hey, uh, there's something God's called me to do. But then right behind that, something negative happens when he tells his brothers about it. Hey, I've got this amazing dream. And then he turns to the people closest to him and they hate him because of it. And then after that, he tells them. And so they decide to throw him in a what? They throw him in a well. They throw him in a well and, and they're torn about it. Should we leave him? Should we let him die? Should we lie to our dad? Should we say that some wild animal? What what are we going to do? So they throw him in a well. But good news for Joseph is he gets rescued. These Egyptians are traveling through. So he gets pulled up out of the well. He's like, I've been rescued. But the downside of it is he gets sold into, into slavery. Sold into slavery. You see the ups and downs. Hey, I've got a dream. Thrown into a well rescued after rescued, sold into slavery. The positive of it, though, is in slavery he serves a guy whose name is Potiphar. He serves in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the number two most powerful man in the land. He's the COO of Egypt at this point. He works at the right hand of Pharaoh. He's in charge of the armies. He's in charge of the food. He's in in charge of everything. And so Joseph ends up serving in this guy's house. It's not really a house, it's a compound. It's not really like serving in a normal family. He's serving uh, this guy who's the, the second most powerful man in the land. The problem with serving in Potiphar's house is he ends up meeting, I don't know her name, so we'll call her Mrs. Potiphar. So he meets Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar is not youth. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar is not used, I didn't know that it would be that funny, so. Is it okay for me to crack up on stage? Is that all right? So Mrs. Potiphar is not used to uh, not being told no. So she sees Joseph. He's a young, handsome guy. He's got influence. He's got power. He's uh, poised for success. And so she tries to seduce him. The problem is he says no. And he says it over and over and over and over again until finally he runs from her. And so she's so angry about it that she lies about him and says, he raped me. She lies about it. She mars his character, so, and so he gets thrown into jail. He gets thrown into jail. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. There's nothing he did to, to get it. I mean, they're, they're in the, I know that he sinned in his life, but in the Bible, there's no account of it. I mean, he, this guy is a clean guy. He's thrown into prison because of Mrs. Potiphar. But good news, while he's in prison, he meets the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer and the baker. Why is that good news? Because these two guys are really, really close to Pharaoh. They're really close to Pharaoh. Pharaoh apparently is like me. He likes his cupcakes. So he has a baker nearby, love that. And then he's got a cupbearer. Apparently he's important enough not to hold his own cup. I don't know. So (laughs) could you hold that for me? Uh, So he's got a cupbearer and a baker. Uh, So they're in jail together. Uh, they both have crazy dreams. Well, Joseph is like, well, I've had a crazy dream before. God showed me what that dream dream meant. And so he interprets that dream. And here's what Joseph says. All right, for you, the cupbearer, things are going to go well. You're going to get out. You're going to be restored. It's going to be awesome for you, the baker. uh, You're actually going to lose your head. This is not going to be good. And so he says to the cupbearer, when you get out and when you go back to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh about me. I'm an innocent guy. I didn't do anything wrong. I served my master well. Why am I in jail? The problem is the downturn is the cupbearer forgets the cupbearer forgets. And so Joseph is in jail, probably two to three more years thinking, really, what did I do? Why is this happening to me? God, do you hate me? What's the problem? The good news is eventually Pharaoh has a crazy dream. He doesn't know what it means. And so cupbearer hears about it and he's like, oh yeah, there's that guy. There's that guy that interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret you, your dream. And so Joseph gets to stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream. Uh, Joseph interprets the dream. Then Pharaoh's like, what are we going to do about it? And Joseph says, well, I already know how to handle this situation. And so Joseph starts right on off and he says, look, your dream means there's going to be seven years of of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so the way that you're going to prepare for famine is during the years of plenty, save up, save up, save up, do all of that stuff. And so he gets to serve at Pharaoh's right hand. And so he gets to stand before Pharaoh. The problem is while he's serving Pharaoh, his brothers show up. The brothers think he's dead. It's been 20, 30 years since they've seen him. They assume he's dead. They don't recognize him. He he, he fits into the whole Egyptian culture at this point. And so it breaks his heart. Literally, when Joseph sees them, he has to leave the room because he's brokenhearted. The positive news is he forgives them. He forgives them. And at the end of his story, he ends up saving an entire nation of Egypt. Now, just take a moment and look at that. Do you think Joseph's story is significant? Yes or no? Do you think his life counted? Look at all the ups and downs in his life. The reason why the ups are so powerful is because he had the downsides. Does that make sense? I mean, a lot of times when we have the ups and downs... We don't like it. When we see it in a movie, we're like, man, that's a powerful story. I love that story. They hit rock bottom and somebody showed up and they helped. We love it in stories. We love it in other people's lives. We hate it in our own. We wanna stay on the positive side. We wanna stay on, and anytime we see the negative turns, we think, God, are you angry at me? God, have you forgotten me? God, I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's somebody else's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my dad's fault. And Joseph could have said all of those things, but here's what I wanna say to you. If you're in that middle section, I call that the long middle. It's slow. It's so tedious. It feels like there's no hope. Here's what I wanna say it doesn't mean God is punishing you. It could mean that God is preparing you for what's next. See, a lot of times, anytime we have problems, we think our problems are punishments when really our problems are preparation. See, here's what I found in my own life is that God is not as concerned with my personal comfort during the middle. He's more concerned about me developing his character when I'm in the middle. And so everybody has a story. Number one, your story is uniquely designed for you. Number two, your story has lots of ups and downs, but big point number three, your story can be used to shape destiny. I know that's a big lofty kind of phrase this morning, but I believe that your story can be used to shape destiny. So here's what happens. Joseph forgives the brothers. Eventually their father dies. And so the brothers think, yeah, I know he said that he forgives us, but now that dad's gone, maybe he's going to reap judgment on us. Well, he certainly could have done that. He's the second most powerful man in the land at this point. So he could have gotten even with them. He could have done everything to them that that they did to him. He could have thrown them in a pit. He could have sold them off in slavery. He could have killed them. He could have done any number of things. And yet here's Joseph's perspective. Here's this verse. I love this verse. I've always heard this first part of the verse where Joseph says to those brothers, he said, you meant this for evil. Have you heard that before? You meant this for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. And then the next phrase, I'd never really paid attention before until this week. God intended it for good to accomplish something. That's why I say your life matters, to accomplish something. Your life can accomplish something. My life can accomplish something. Here's what he says, to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. Joseph realized that his story was really a subplot in the story of God. Joseph's big picture is, I'm not just here to make money. I'm not here to get even. I'm not here to make myself famous. I am here to help join in what God is doing, the saving of many lives. You can do that. I mean, I... I, I look at Dr. Gresham on the front row. I think about all the teachers in our school Could it be that you're not just randomly at whatever school you're at, that God is using you as the light of God in the life of a young man and young lady and you're helping save that person's life? I mean, I look back to my high school principal. I think about Dr. Garrett and the things that he spoke into my life and he called out of my life. I look back on, I thank God for people like Dr. Gresham. I thank God for all the teachers that we have in here. I will get people like Miss Betty Holbrook, who almost every single Sunday pulls me aside, and then I found out, I thought I was special, that she would give me a hug and pray. Turns out she does it to, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 people every week. So I'm not as special as I thought, but she's like, can I pray for you? I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. And could it be, she doesn't realize it, but there's teachers that come up to me and say, I, I-, I have such, I- I'm so grateful that she prayed and spoke into my life today. Man, I, I, I think about the grandparents in the house and, and, and you see your kids go through a rough patch. You see your grandkids going through an awkward stage and God uses you to save their life in some way. I, 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 I think about Chuck and Jenny. And if we were to plot their story, they've been so open to talk about the things that they've walked through in their lives and how they've allowed God to use their story to save many. And so what I'm saying this morning is that every one of us can do that. It doesn't have to be on a platform. It doesn't have to be on some grand scale. It just means that we begin to live as though we're part of God's story. How do you do that? Well, one, it starts by surrendering your story to him. I mean, there's no way to leave a lasting impact without knowing Christ personally. There's no way to make an impact that's gonna affect eternity without stopping and surrendering your life and your heart to Jesus to say, Jesus, I can't live this life myself, but I know that you can. God, I can't make up for the sin in my life, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. It starts with that moment. For me, that was when I was in sixth grade, when I recognized for the very first time that my sin broke the heart of God. If that's never happened for you, I I encourage you today, pause, pause, Ask Jesus to step out of heaven and into your heart. The second piece of that is once your life is surrendered, what I found in my own life, I have to surrender it every single day. It's so easy to get caught up in the subplot of the world instead of the subplot of God. It's so easy to get caught up in all the marketing stuff, all the drama, all the... We get so sidetracked from stuff that just doesn't matter. And so I have to remind myself every single day, that what really matters is not my story, but the story of God. What does that look like for you? It could be different for all of us. You may not be Miss Betty. You may be like the guy that earlier this week I had lunch with, uh, and, and just him telling me his story was so life-giving to me. One of my buddies on Friday had an issue going on, and he, he did what he could with what he's good at and helped fix that problem. But your story could be so unique and special. Your story is a gift. Your story is a gift. Don't waste it. Use it. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna pray for what God is doing here this morning. Is there anybody this morning that would say, Bobby, pray for me? I'm not sure that I've ever surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm not sure I've ever surrendered my story, but I know that I need to. And you just say, Bobby, would you pray for me? that's you, would you just slip your hand straight up in the air? I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I I just want to know how to pray for what God's doing in this room. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else, you just say, pray for me. I'm not sure I've ever done that. I'm not sure Jesus has ever saved me. Let me ask a second question. Is there anybody that would say, I know I've been saved, but to be honest with you, uh, I've forgotten the big picture. I've forgotten the big story. I've forgotten that's not about me, it's about God. And I want to I wanna surrender to that today. I want to surrender to my life counting because he can use me. I want to live life intentionally, whether I'm a teacher or a lawyer, whether I work in government, uh, w- whether I work in the home, whether I'm in the arts, uh, whether I'm a college student, whether I'm a single or married, what, whatever, wherever we're at, to say, I want my story to count. If that's you, would you do the same thing? Just slip your hands straight up so I can pray for you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for these these people, to love them so much. And I pray that today you would help them to see that they've got something unique, something powerful that they can contribute to your work. Father, I pray for those that don't know you. If it would please you, I pray that you would save them. Help them to put their full trust in you. Help them to turn away from their sins and turn to you. You can ask them right in your head and your heart. You can ask them to do that. Father, for those that know you, Lord, I pray that you'd cause that sense of urgency to rise up this week. That whether we're at work this week, in the home, whether we're, we're uh, uh, hanging out with family, would you help us to use those moments intentionally to point people to you. It's in your strong and mighty name I pray.